Thank you all so much. It's a powerful song to go along with that powerful name. Appreciate that. Well, we want to welcome you and also those who uh, are at home on our live stream. We are thankful that you are tuning in with us as well and welcome you and thank you for being with us. And uh, as I said, this is the first Sunday of Lent and one of the things uh, that people do, of course, you know, is, is kind of give up things, which I think is interesting um, because today we're going to be talking about two more parables in our series on earth as it is in heaven that uh, Jesus talked about, and it's going to be talking about giving up something very significant um, in order to be a part of God's kingdom. In uh, February of 2013, and I believe it was in California, there was a couple who were out on their property, it's a very big property, and they were walking uh, their dog. And they came across something near a tree that was sticking up out of the ground. And it looked like a, a can, a rusty can. And they walked over closer to it and started investigating. And sure enough, it was some kind of can that was sticking up out of the ground. So they got some sticks and started digging around it. And sure enough, they unearthed a can, a rusty can that had obviously been there and was very oxidized, been there for many years. And so they picked it up and it was very heavy and it seemed like it had some kind of a metal in it, iron or lead or something. And, and so they said, well, we're going to take this home and check it out. And as they were going home, the actual top or the lid cracked because it was so oxidized. And it revealed all these gold coins that were inside. So they, they went back to that same area after they dropped that off at the house, came back with some shovels, and they unearthed eight more cans like this in that same area that were filled with these gold coins, and uh, after their discovery, they decided they were going to hide this stuff till they found out exactly what it was really worth, and so they hid it in an old ice chest, and then they hid that under a stack of wood so that nobody could find it. Well, they ended up taking one of the coins in, and after it was all said and done, there were 1,411 coins with a face value of about twenty-seven dollars to $28,000. That's just the face value of what the coins were worth when they were actually minted. But it's been um, estimated now that, that all of those eight cans was worth $10 million in gold coins. Can you imagine walking your dog and finding this kind of discovery in your yard? Now, there was some, I read on a little bit further, and um, they would never reveal where their land was because obviously they didn't want people coming in and starting to dig. There's got to be more around here somewhere, you know. Um, but yeah, they cashed in. That'd be pretty amazing. So I don't know about y'all, but I really like stories about big finds like that where people are hunting treasure. And invariably when I'm at the beach on vacation, there's somebody with one of those, what do you call them, metal detectors on the beach doing that, you know. I don't understand why you'd want to use your vacation doing that, but whatever. I see people doing it and they apparently like it and I guess they find stuff every now and then. Um, but I enjoy those stories. One of my favorites are uh, about cars because I like cars and watching car shows and uh, I like where they find barn finds. Y'all know what I'm talking about where, you know, you go to a barn and some you know, my grandfather had this car. I don't know what it's worth, but if you'll get it out of here and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is dusty, but it's, you know, it's a classic car and they were able to get that car. And so, you know, maybe we can get it running again, even though it's been sitting there for years, those kind of things. I was watching one show and I can't remember, I think it was Gas Monkey. Anybody watch Gas Monkey? You know what I'm talking about? Gas Monkey Garage anyway. So he's always looking for cars and he found this one car that he knew this guy had and he wanted it really bad. So he gets there and sure enough, it's this old barn with all these old cars and he goes, 
all right, you can have that car, but you got to take these other four. He goes, I don't want those other four. He goes, I don't care. You don't get that car unless you take all four, all five of them together. So he bought all five of them just to get that one car of value. But you can understand that. So we're going to continue our, our series we've been doing um, about Jesus' parables that he talks specifically about God's kingdom, and as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven. And as we've moved through this, we've noticed that there are a lot of the same characteristics of these stories that we've been talking about. And it's been a lot about plants and growing last week. You know, we had, a, we had some dough up here. and We had some people going through the yeast and planting um, seeds and things like that. And Jesus used those illustrations to, to help people see what God's kingdom was about. And God's kingdom, these characteristics we keep seeing coming up over and over again are this, that God's kingdom is all-inclusive. That means it's, it's uh, available to all people. All these stories represent somehow in those stories that God's kingdom is av- available to all people. And it works in very mysterious ways. It works in mysterious times and mysterious places. But it actually works. It's always at work in some way. Even if we see it, even if we don't notice it, it's always at work. And it works even in the midst of a hostile or an evil environment or situation. And it is consistently calling for us to respond to it. Even if we don't understand, we still have to see something is going on here. God has to be at work and God calls us to respond to that. And Jesus reminded us that some would grasp and understand this kingdom of God, but others would see it, he said, but would not really see it. They would hear, but they would not understand. And it has to do with what he talked about in one of his very first parables is that we talked about that parable of the soil. Well, it has to do with the condition of our heart, doesn't it? If we condition our heart to be open to what God has to say to us, a lot of times it will make sense and we'll start to discover what God's kingdom. But if our heart is hard or we let other things distract our hearts, we're not really going to see what God's kingdom is all about. So Jesus is going to tell us two more today and we're going to look at these two parables in um, Matthew chapter 13. We've been in this for several weeks, but Jesus told a lot of parables. And I, and I think, you know, Jesus, and, and he must have been talking to the same group of people probably. And if you're a teacher here, I know we've got a lot of teachers, and God bless y'all. Y'all do amazing work, especially during the last year or more. And, um, but you know when you have students in your class and uh, you're, t- you're teaching them something and they're kind of looking like, uh, I don't know what you're saying, or they nod their heads. Like I was at my uh, son's baseball practice yesterday and I'm just an assistant coach. I don't do a whole lot, but the main coaches were, were telling kids about this and they'd spent about 20 minutes going through these stances and certain things. And they go, so do y'all, y'all got that? And they go, uh-huh. And then they go, all right, show me that stance. And it was like nothing even close, you know? So you, you understand sometimes as a teacher or a coach or even as a trainer of somebody, sometimes people don't get it, so you have to give them something else, don't you? You got to keep feeding them the lines. You got to keep feeding them a different example so that they finally grasp it. And I think that's what Jesus was doing. He's saying, I can see by your eyes, I can see by your body language, by your reaction that maybe you're not quite getting everything about this kingdom, so I'm going to keep giving you these stories. I want you to think about it. So in Matthew 13, we're going to look at verses 44 through 46. These are real short and very simple But I want us to look at what they have to say to us today. So Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. 
So I want us to look at what was Jesus trying to tell us today about God's kingdom. Well, there's a man and there's a field. And he found a treasure, then he hid it again, and then he went and sold. In joy, it says, he was very joyful because whatever was in that particular treasure that he found was, had a lot of value, a lot of value. And so this was such a joyful thing for him, he was going to go sell everything he had in order to buy this field. Now, I don't know why he was in the field. Was he just walking across a neighbor's field? Was he just walking across an empty field? We don't know. And so we have to kind of interpret these things. Now, um, I've read several different interpretations um, of this this week, and there's some, some interesting ones, and I'll share a few of them with you. But we also know that Jesus interpreted, in the last few weeks as we've done this, Jesus interpreted the um, parable of the soils for us and also the parable of the weeds. But Jesus didn't interpret all of those. So other times when we're going, I'm not sure what that means. And Jesus in the Gospels, we don't have a recording of him explaining exactly what that meant. I think that was for a reason. I think Jesus wants us to think about in our culture, in our time, in our particular situation, season that we're in in our life, that he wants us to think about it. And how does this connect with those other parables that he did explain or what he was talking about to his audience then and how that might reflect on us today? So we have to think about those things. Now remember, a parable is when you set one thing next to another and you compare them and say, this is like, so Jesus started these parables like this. The kingdom of God is like, and he tells these stories. So who is the man, who is the field, and what is the treasure? That's what we're going to try to figure out in this parable. Well, some say Jesus is the man. He's the man that's in this field, and the field stands for the whole world. It's representative of the whole world. There's no place that God isn't available, that God's not having influence on. And as I think about our group that just came back from Guatemala, do we have anybody that was in Guatemala? Raise your hand if you're here today. There's Fred over there. Is there anybody else? And Mike wasn't here. But, man, I'm telling you, these guys have got great stories. And, Fred, I, can, I know that the kingdom of God's working in Guatemala. Isn't that right? doesn't have anything to do with this church necessarily or this country, but God is at work all over the world. And I'm very grateful for y'all that went, very grateful for y'all that are generous, that allows our church to send people over there to do those things. But talk to Fred and some of the others. You need to hear their stories. You need to hear what God's doing in different parts of the world. But anyway, so Jesus is, so some interpreters say Jesus is the man, the field is the world, representative of the whole world, and we are the treasure that Jesus found. I'm not sure what the whole hit again thing means, but he actually, you know, uh, found us, and because we are so valuable to him, he gave up everything in order to restore us to God, and that's a great interpretation. I understand. I'm not sure that's the right one. I don't know, but also one person said, well, the first one is talking to Jews because they were the treasure of God in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. So this first one is for the Jews that Jesus found them and died for them. And then the second one that we just read is about um, a pearl, which comes from what? Oysters, right? When an oyster gets a little piece of dirt or grit in it, and that secretion comes around and it forms a pearl. So that's for the Gentiles because Jews weren't allowed to eat um, oysters. Now, I don't know if that's right or not, but I thought that was interesting that someone interpreted it that way. But either way, it's saying that you are valuable. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, God, Jesus valued you and gave everything for you. And Paul did say in his writings in the New Testament, we are not our own, that we were bought at a price. Paul made sure that people understood that, that what Jesus did was for all people. So another interpretation is that there's a normal man here, just a normal everyday guy, and he's walking through this field, and he stumbles across this treasure, which is in the world. 
And he wasn't looking for it. He just happens to see something and it piques his interest like this couple that was walking their dog. And he's trying to figure out what is this in the ground. So the treasure stands for God's kingdom. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And this guy discovers it for the first time. And he realized the treasure had immense value. And so he hides it again. He's going, I better hide this. And I don't know if he hid it in the same place or hid it in a different place. But he goes, I'm going to hide this. And obviously this man has some integrity because he goes... Whoever owns this field legally, anything in this field is their property. So in order to get this treasure, I need to buy the whole thing. So he does have an integrity, and he goes and he sells everything. And notice that Matthew tells us, enjoy. Jesus tells us, enjoy, he goes and sells. He's not upset that he has to sell everything joyfully. I'll gladly sell everything because whatever's in this treasure has immense value. And so that's what he does. And in those times, Jesus' audience would have understood this. People buried things when they were trying to hide it. They didn't necessarily have um, places in their homes or security systems on their homes. So if they had some value, they would hide it somewhere, maybe make a map so they could find it again. Uh, they didn't have uh, safe deposit boxes. They had some bankers in those days, but they didn't necessarily have safe deposit box boxes at banks. So they didn't really have that. So people would bury things in the ground. Sometimes when they heard the enemy was coming, people would bury valuable things because they didn't want to be stolen by the enemy. And the enemy would come in and destroy their town or their village or whatever. And they would take these people off. And if those people survived and were able to somehow get back they could maybe find their treasure again. But sometimes this field, for instance, may not have really been a field. It may have been a building. It may have been somebody's house or, or, or something bigger than that. And when the enemy came down and destroyed it, all the things around it that were buried as treasure, those people got carted off or killed, and that treasure just stayed there in the ground. So this guy could have very uh, easily found somebody's treasure that had been left from, from years and years ago that never was able to find it. So anyway, we know that he does that. And... Um, this man seems, like I said, to have integrity because he goes, I've got to buy the whole field. I can't just go take this and sneak out with it. That wouldn't be right. So he goes and buys the whole field. And the treasure was worth it to him because he sold, as Matthew tells, Jesus tells us in Matthew, that he sold everything he had to obtain this treasure. And now he's a new landowner. I don't know if he had land before, but now he has land, and he's the owner of this treasure that has brought him this immense joy in his life, and he has changed he has another life now. He can never be the same because of what he's discovered. He has a new life that's been transformed because of the treasure. And it was worth it to give up all that he had before. It was worth it to him. Now, I don't know if we really understand that, but most interpreters interpret this parable by this. And that seems to make sense to me for the most part. Many po people believe that's the best interpretation. And it represents many of those who have not necessarily been looking for God or looking for something in God's kingdom in their life, but they stumbled across it. And I would imagine in a group this big that there's lots of y'all who have testimonies. You have stories where you weren't necessarily looking to be a Christian. You weren't necessarily looking um, for God or Jesus or any of that. But somehow something in your life happened that you have this incredible story about. You said, I just happened to be this at this place, and this person started talking about this, or this incident happened, and I just happened to be there. You didn't just happen to be there. God was revealing something to you. 
He wanted you to be there. And I don't understand how God's work. We've talked about God's kingdom is mysterious. But all of us have some kind of story on how we came to Christ. And it may be something as simple as like I did. Well, my mom and daddy brought me to church and I finally figured I didn't want to go to hell. And you know what? I want to be Jesus' friend. I mean, I'm not making fun of that. It was pretty simplistic. But at some point, I realized I wanted to be a part of God's kingdom. And he created me to be a part of God's kingdom. And I wanted to be a part of that. But a lot of us maybe were stumbling through life and we really weren't looking for that. But God did something to wake us up and get our attention. And I think this is what this uh, particular parable represents here. And some of us maybe remember the day in your life when you finally went, wow, I really need that. I've heard it, but it never really connected with me until something the way somebody said it or something that somebody did. And you may remember that day in your life and you have a story that no one else is unique to you. And the treasure of recognizing that God created you, that he loves you, and that in spite of your sin and my sin and our rebellion and our attempts to be things that God has not created us to be and try to be God ourselves, that God sent Jesus to redeem us and bring us back to God the Father. And that redemption did cost Jesus everything. And when we really realize how awesome that is, no price is too big to pay to be a part of that. Robert Capon writes an interesting book on the parables of the kingdom and he talks about this term, um, buying the farm. Y'all ever heard that? It's just a, a euphemism, I guess is the word, for death. And do y'all know, does anybody know where that came from? Where did we get buy the farm? So, well, I guess somebody gets to buy the farm when somebody dies. But he says that it came from a term from pilots, because if they ever crashed their planes, then their wives would be able to buy the farm, because they had these, I think they were talking, in this particular case, we're talking about some rich pilots who lived in Vermont, and so if their plane went down, that their wives would have this, you know, this um, life insurance that would be able to buy the farm if they ever passed away. So anyway, he says this in his book, we all buy the farm at some point. Every last one of us dies, willy-nilly, every single person in the world, Christian or non-Christian, will someday come into full and secure possession of the field of death in which Jesus has hidden the treasure of his redeeming work. And therefore, since no one anywhere at any time will ever be finally without death, no one on earth, in heaven or in hell, will ever be without Jesus' reconciliation. Now, some of you say, what did he just read? Did he just say people in hell will be without Jesus, will, will have Jesus' reconciliation? That's exactly what I said. People that go to hell will go to hell because they've rejected and refused to accept Jesus' reconciliation. Jesus still died for them. Jesus still died so that they could be reconciled to God. But there's going to be some people in life who are going to say, I know that, but I don't want it. I can do it on my own. And that's what sends you to hell. Your sins don't send you to hell. Your refusal to accept the grace of God sends you to hell. And that means the treasure of the reconciliation of Jesus is available to all people. He died for all people, whether they accept it or not. Mysterious and yet absolutely real. And it requires always a response for us. And when we say, well, I'm going to keep putting that off, I'm going to keep putting that off, that is a response. When you keep putting it off, it's a response. It's in that response is, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to accept that yet. And I don't say that to scare you, but you will buy the farm one day. And you want to have accepted Jesus before you buy the farm. And that's important. The Apostle Paul said to the Colossian Jesus followers, 
And this was so important to Paul. Paul tried to earn his way to God for almost most of his life till he had this life-changing experience on the road to Damascus. So he said to the Colossian followers of Jesus, he said, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And so Jesus wants to be a part of our life here and now, but ultimately there's going to be this future a kingdom of God, and we will be a part of that glory with him. And that's what Paul looked forward to. And Paul, it was I think it was good in his own life to have all that pressure off him that it wasn't about being a legalist anymore and trying to earn God's favor, but realize, as Paul said, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves so that no one can boast, Paul talked about. So before we look a little closer at the pearl of great price, and it's a very similar uh, story as you heard, but there's a little bit of a twist in it in this one, and which I believe is uh, is is important. But I want to tell y'all a story that's interesting about a pearl right now, if I could. So I ran across this. A, a lady named Jill Caratini wrote this um, story about some people who decided one night that uh, they don't usually eat oysters, but what the heck? I just thought about oysters. Let's get some and let's try to fix those at home. So the lady's name was. Uh, Barbara Crin Savage, and she said that they're not usually something they eat a lot of, but she just had a snowy evening in December. She found herself craving this old oyster recipe from somebody in the family, so she brought home four dozen of what they call quahogs. Now, I was trying to read it, and it was quahogs, and it's not quahogs, it's quahogs. Anybody know what quahogs are? They're the oysters that are up and down the eastern coast. Um, probably somewhere between Cape Cod and New Jersey. Anyway, so she had her husband to start shucking these things, breaking them open, and as he started doing that, he discovered one before he cracked them. He goes, oh, this one looks really nasty. It looks dead. I don't think it's good. I think it's diseased or something. So she came a little closer, and they popped the thing open, and sure enough, inside was a pearl, a beautiful, rare, purple pearl that they found. It was very, very priceless and experts estimate that roughly one in two million quahog clams actually contain a gem quality pearl like the one that the Crin Savage family actually found. And so they went and took it somewhere and it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So again, can you imagine bringing I don't know how much I don't know how much oysters cost to bring home, but you got a pretty good investment on your dollar of, of supper that night for bringing home those, but I thought that was an interesting story. So again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and not just a man this time, this guy is a merchant who's looking for fine pearls. So unlike the first story where this guy just stumbles across the treasure, this particular guy, his life is finding treasure, and specifically pearls. So he's been looking for pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now this parable which follows the, the treasure here... Um, the man, this peril, he, again, he doesn't stumble across it. He is a merchant. And in the Greek, the term means one who markets through other agents. And we know what, uh, you know, a merchant is. That means I buy them from the wholesaler or whatever from the source. You know, I guess like Tom Shane. You ever heard that over the years, Tom Shane? <laughs> Guy's still going strong, at me, okay? So he buys them from the source, and then he, you know, then he's able to sell them. So, but this is interesting. One particular uh, commentator said this. He says, uh, a, a merchant is someone who sells items consumers do not need at prices they can't afford. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, sometimes we know of those kind of people, all right? And so in the New Testament, when people are hearing Jesus tell this story, 
these guys who are merchants are not looked at in really good light because people know, yeah, you're selling stuff that we really don't need at prices we really can't afford, so only the rich are able to do that. So they kind of cast a jaundiced eye at these merchants in this particular first century culture. So some of Jesus' um, listeners, as they're hearing this story, they're going, yeah, I know that guy. You know, he's charges extravagant prices for this stuff that nobody really needs. So it's funny that Jesus uses this person's role. But we also find that merchants were not necessarily highly looked upon in the New Testament. In uh, Revelation, we hear some references at the end of Revelation about the merchants and how those are not on real favorable. And you remember, Jesus went into the temple um, probably on Holy Week, and he saw merchants and money changers in the temple selling things. And again, they were gouging people, and Jesus knew this, and he went over and overturned the table. And John even says he cast them out with a whip in his hand. So Jesus wasn't real, he didn't think a lot of the merchants either, but yet he uses this in one of his stories here. But this man is a merchant. He goes and tries to find and sells these pearls. And so he finds this one pearl that he was looking for, and it is the one. He's been searching his whole life and been doing pearls his whole life, and he finds this one. He goes, this is the one. This is the most valuable uh, pearl that I've ever come across. It has greater value than anything I've ever come across in my whole life. So Jesus tells us he goes away and sells, just like the first guy, everything he had. That would include all his collection of pearls up until this point. Everything to get this one pearl. But now, I want you all to understand, this is not about the, the, the kingdom of God can be bought with money. This is just a reference. This is a parable. But it's really about I'm willing to give up my old life. I used to be a merchant. I'm no longer a merchant. The guy in the, the first story, whatever he was, he's no longer that anymore. He has been transformed into a new person because of this treasure. He has another life now, a new life that's been transformed because of the treasure. And it was worth all that he had to obtain it. It was worth it to him. He no longer what is what he was, a merchant searching for pearls. Now, he doesn't have to do that anymore because he is the owner of this one great pearl of price. And that's all he needs now. He's satisfied. He's content. And I believe this parable represents many of us who have been searching for something our whole lives. We didn't just stumble across it like the guy in the first story, but there's many of us who have been searching for truth our whole lives. And we've looked in a lot of places for it. Maybe other religions, other faiths. Maybe we've looked at it in relationships or this or that. And we've stumbled across some things and found some things. But we said, I'm not sure that's it. We've heard people talk about all these other truths. But we're looking for something that would bring us peace, that would bring us security, that would bring us fulfillment in our lives. And maybe we've purchased and sold a lot of things trying to find that. And we said, I never found it. I had this car or I had this and it was great. But you know, I got bored with it and I sold it. But ultimately, I think that's what this guy was about. But finally, he finds this one pearl. I don't need to see any others. I finally found contentment right here. And Jesus told us there's a lot of religions out there. There's a lot of faiths. And there are. And people are searching through all those. But Jesus said this. And this is what makes Christianity unique. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Only through Jesus and his redemptive work. Only through Jesus are we able to fully access the treasure of God's kingdom. 
And again, just like the treasure found in the field, the value of the pearl is recognizing, again, that God created you specifically for a reason. He loved you in spite of, of your rebellion, of my rebellion, of our sin, of our selfishness, and our attempts to be whatever it was that God never intended us to be. But God sent Jesus to redeem us and bring us back to God the Father. And that redemption did cost Jesus everything. But guess what? We were worth it to God. All of us, every human, we were worth it for God to give up all of that. So how do you put a value on love like that? So whether you stumbled upon this truce, this treasure, this valuable pearl today, maybe you're here today and you've never thought of it like that. And if that's true, I hope that these stories connected with you because they've been being told for over 2,000 years and they've connected with people by recognizing your value and worth to God and being restored to Him through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You can do that today. 